remark I made about Sister Tammy was being facetious. I was not serious. I want you to know uh, I'm glad to see each of you. And, uh, and it's good to hear the songs of Zion. Uh, they thrill your heart like nothing else can. Now, there's other music out there that we enjoy, and, and uh, a lot of it's edifying, but there's nothing like the songs of Zion. They minister to the heart and the soul in ways that no other songs can. I'd like us to open our Bibles once again to the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians, remembering that the Apostle Paul has on his heart and mind and soul the well-being of the little church at Thessalonica. They're very young in the faith. There's they're dealing with the things that we deal with even in our generation in the planting of a new church because there's different levels of maturity there's different levels of ability and capability to understand uh, the preaching of the word the 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 gospel itself and the apostle paul has been made aware that there was some confusion in the little church about the second coming of Christ and about the events that must precede the second coming of the Lord and the day of judgment, the day of wrath that we find in the first epistle that the Lord's people will be delivered from. We are delivered from the day of wrath because the wrath that you and I deserved was poured out upon Christ on the tree of the cross. So the Apostle Paul would make his great statement, I declare or I determine to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's where the wrath of God was poured out in your room instead upon the person of Christ. But there were, uh, understandably, uh, there, were, the, the, there appears to be some some confusion and and the faith of some was was being shaken so the apostle paul writes this uh, wonderful uh, letter it's a short letter and in the, this paragraph or chapter that we're going to study tonight we're going to we're, we're going to see uh, where paul's coming from i trust <clears throat> the first thing that the apostle paul is going to note with us tonight before the great second coming of Christ there must be a great falling away an apostasy listen to what he says now we beseech you brethren there's his word again we're earnestly entreating we're begging you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering unto him now tonight I, I want to just, I don't want to get too technical with this, but I, I want to uh, be clear that there are three Greek terms that are translated into one word in the English, coming. But in the Greek uh, uh, original text, the first word and most common is parousia, which is the word that is used here for coming which is the, the actual presence of Jesus Christ coming in the clouds of great glory. 
then there is the epiphania or the manifestation of his coming. And that might not be actual, but very, rather spiritual in that context. And then, of course, there's the, uh, the word apocalypsis, apocalypse, uh, a revelation, uh, a revelation of his um, coming in glory and power. Um, this word is parousia, and I think, that's, uh, I, I think that's important to note here. Because what he is actually saying is, it's not an if Jesus is coming again. It's a when. When is Jesus coming again? And he uses that word in reference to that specific question. And he says in verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind. Now, there were some that were being afraid. There were some that were confused. There were some that when they viewed the persecution that was levied against them and the struggles that they were facing as Christians in a pagan society and culture, they were being oppressed and persecuted, and they were wondering, are we now in the Great Tribulation? Are we now experiencing the things that Jesus warned us about in the Sermon on the Mount, how that before His coming there would be these kind of things occurring. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be confused about this. I don't, I don't want you to be soon shaken in your mind or in your soul or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, I believe what he's describing here is the certainty of that day. It's, it's not an if, it's a when Jesus is coming. But he says, I don't want, notice verse 3, I don't want any man to deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. That is uh, apostasia, a deliberate, here's the definition of apostasy. Deliberate abandonment of, former, of, of a former position or allegiance a deliberate abandonment of a former position or allegiance now why that's uh, necessary for understand is he's not talking about an apostasy in the world he's talking about an apostasy within the Christian community among those who claim to know Christ who claim to believe the truth. He's, he's saying there will be a great falling away in the Christian community. And I believe that we're witnessing that today. I don't know where you, what your thought is, but uh, when, when you turn on the radio on a Christian uh, station and you hear people denying the inspiration of the Word of God that claim to be Christians, when you have people... Uh, a huge denomination claiming that it is not necessary to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be a Christian, I'm telling you that's apostasy. That, that's a, a dangerous teaching. And, and to know that 20 centuries ago there were those that were introducing those very things. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to fall 
prey to that kind of evil teaching. Because Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to gather his sheep on his right hand, and the goats are going to be on his left. And he's going to say unto the sheep on his right hand, Come unto me, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And to those on his left, he's going to say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Now, I want you to understand that's the truth concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. So here we find in these terms, and, and if you'll allow me just a few minutes, I want to uh, compare that to some things that Paul said to Timothy. If you'll just turn, you know, Timothy's right here, right? It's just one page, right? It's one page. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with an hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He's not talking about pagans. He's not talking about uh, 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 an unregenerate uh, mass. He's talking about those that have come into Christian circles that have not experienced the new birth. And yet they profess that they follow Christ. Again, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to this. This nails it down. Paul says, this, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come. These, the word perilous there is grievous or hard or difficult, even violent, as it were, exceedingly fierce. <clears throat> For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now watch verse 5 carefully. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Why? Because they'll drag you down. They'll drag you away from your Christian commitment and the truth that you have come to believe by God's grace. These are people that are inside the Christian community, but they have never experienced the new birth. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power that brings godliness to the soul of a man. So back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And by the way, if you're taking notes, we're not going to take the time to go there, but also write down 2 Peter 3, verse 3, and 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. A great falling away must come first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. 
Now he says there's going to be a great falling away, right? But then there's going to be an arise or an appearance of what Paul says is the man of sin that is going to be revealed. And he's called the son of perdition. Notice the contrast between this man of sin. Now, don't be confused. In 1 John, he talks about the presence of the Antichrist even in his day. Antichrist just means that which is opposed to Christ. But tonight, I'm not talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. I'm talking to you about the Antichrist. I'm talking about you, uh, uh, and we'll identify him here. He's uh, a son of perdition. What a great contrast between the son of perdition. Perdition means destruction. What a great contrast between the son of destruction and the son of God. The son that brings death. The son that brings life. Have you ever thought about this? What he's doing, he's going to be imitating. We're going to see that in just a little bit. He's going to imitate. He's going to have demonic power that will imitate the miraculous uh, deeds of the true Son of God. He's going to be able to do some of those things. It, it reminds me, does it not, of the magicians in Pharaoh's court that withstood Moses and Aaron? Remember, they did uh, miracles uh, uh, on their own uh, through demonic agency. They were able to mimic or imitate the very miracles that God sent through the hand of Moses to bear witness to the reality of who God is. So, so we know that that power is there. And this man of sin is going to have a special anointing of that power because he is completely filled with the devil. He's, he, he's uh, the devil incarnate. He's a man. He's a man. He is the son of perdition. And this is what he's going to do. This is, this is what he's going to be. In verse 4 he says, He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Now that's, that's, a, that's a big order, isn't it? Doesn't that remind us of the 14th chapter of Isaiah? When there was someone called Lucifer that said, I will exalt my throne or my seat. Above the Most High. The I, 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 Itis. He says, I'm going to have all the glory. I'm going to have all the praise. His name was Lucifer, the son of the morning. And he was cast down into the ground. And I believe that's when he became Satan. I believe Lucifer in heaven is Satan on earth. He's cast down. And those angels that were deceived by him. So that language the Apostle Paul is borrowing from Isaiah, and by the way, we'll go to Daniel 7 in a little while and, and see the perfect uh, parallel here. But he says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now remember, when Paul wrote this, the Jewish temple, the second temple, um, was in existence. The second temple was there. And certainly, uh, it would be confusing to the minds of the Thessalonians. Is he talking about this temple? 
Or is he talking about another temple that will be in existence at the second coming? And I think that's a good question. That's a Tammy question. That's a good question. See, I believe that there is going to be a third temple. In the last day, there's going to be a, a third temple. And the Antichrist that may even be in the world today, and, and, and he may be walking around today uh, because of the signs of our times, but brothers and sisters, one day he's going to actually sit in a temple of God showing himself that he is God, that he is worthy of worship. And I believe Daniel saw that in Daniel chapter 7. We'll look at it in just a moment. But he said, verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? See, the apostle Paul was not afraid of, of uh, uh, preaching the whole council. He was not afraid of preaching eschatology. He was not a, afraid of preaching the doctrine of the end times. He wasn't. He was revealing to the early Christians that while we suffer as Christians in this present evil age, while we are under the oppressive hand of, of Romans or pagan culture and wicked politicians and wicked judges and laws, while we are um, while we're under that kind of a bondage, the best is yet to come for the Christian. Because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Paul says, don't you remember when I was with you? I, I told you these things. Verse 6, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now the he there is the man of sin. The he there is the son of perdition. The he there is the Antichrist. There's some things that have to happen before the second coming of Jesus Christ. One, there's going to be a great apostasy. Two, there's going to be a man of sin. And he's going to be identified in a moment as the wicked or lawless one. And um, this is important. This is a very important point tonight. Not only is there going to be a great falling away and a revelation of the man of sin, but restraints will be removed. I believe that that's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, you may differ with me, and I can show you why I believe that tonight. I realize that when you study history like we love history, Brother Nate, uh, all of us, we, we talk about historical things because we're enamored by our history. We don't want to rewrite it. We want to understand it. And as you look back through history of a fallen race, you see the evil, the violence. Remember Genesis chapter 6? The whole earth was full of violence. Remember that? Remember in 6-5 when Moses wrote that they were only evil continually. When we see that, uh, throughout the generations and throughout the many nations of the world, we're recognizing the existence of evil in a fallen world. And we acknowledge that. We, we, we know it's a part of our history. But let me say with the Apostle Paul that even as bad as it has been, 
it's not as bad as it could be. Because there's a God in heaven that is able to restrain evil. In Psalm chapter 76, verse 10, the psalmist David said that he made the wicked um, for his own purpose or pleasure, and the remainder uh, he will restrain. Whatever, whatever happens in this world passes through the sovereign hand of a sovereign God. Even the election of evil presidents, by the way. But watch this, and, and listen carefully. This is what was troubling their mind and our mind here tonight. He says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. There's wickedness and evil in the world already. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. He's talking about the restraining powers being removed. What kind of powers are under consideration? The powers, number one, of government. The powers of government. Anarchy. In a lot of the marches that we witnessed in our own country in recent days, there was, uh, in the midst of that crowd, there would be a flag with an A on the flag and a red circle around it. That is the flag of anarchy. No government. Lawless. And uh, here we see, we're, we're actually seeing it in the streets of America today. The second thing I want to mention is the restraining power of the Holy Spirit in which you will see unlimited evil. We think it's bad now, but just think if there's no restraint. These people that are advocating for the removal of policemen, you know, police forces, you know, uh, uh, burn it down, tear it up, get rid of the police and everything will be good. Oh, do you think so? For a minute, do you think so? When every man is, is, is his own law, brothers and sisters, you talk about chaos and misery. But that's what the world we're living in is going to see before the end. Then there's the restraining power of the gospel. What, what does God use the gospel to do? He uses the gospel to minister hope to people that are hopeless. That's why we, when we talk to hopeless people, we tell them about Jesus Christ because he's the only hope. He's the lasting and eternal hope of any of us. And I believe he's the only hope of America. Well, Paul says there's a day when that's going to be restrained. The gospel itself is going to be restrained. So we have a world filled with hopelessness. And I believe of the church, the persecuted church. I, I, I don't know if you've ever studied the history of the church, but the, there was a, a, a group of Christ followers named Waldensians. And for generations, they raised their children in caves in Italy, the mountainous caves of Italy. Because it was illegal for them to be Christians. 
And brothers and sisters, I, I believe our nation is sliding toward that kind of a medieval mindset. That's why they are asking not to, uh, the homosexual community is asking not only for toleration, they're requiring celebration. We want you to celebrate our abominable uh, relationships. We want you to celebrate our sinful lifestyle, not just tolerate it. We've turned a corner. Even in the laws of our land, we've turned a corner. I'm telling you it's a shame before God when a man claims that he's a woman so he can compete in women's sports. That's a shame before God. And it's an ultimate testimony of the time in which we're living. This unrestrained darkness, this unrestrained hopelessness, this unrestrained uh, evil, and, uh, and also <laughs> uh, unrestrained law enforcement, um, the unbridled violence of a culture. And we find that in 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. It's, it's all through there. Because what he's describing is a world without Christ. A world without the Spirit. He says the mystery of iniquity already works, all right. But he that letteth, or he that restrains, as it were, that's the word there, he will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8, and then shall that, and notice this, wicked be revealed. Have you noticed in your Bible the word wicked is capitalized? Did you notice that? Because he's describing a person. And literally, the Greek word is ho animas, the, the lawless one. He's without law. This is the Antichrist. And then shall the wicked be revealed from <clears throat> whom the Lord... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's find out who that wicked one is. Now go back with me quickly. This won't take long, but in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel here, he's a, he, he's a captive in Babylon, and he is uh, God's prophet to the people of captivity. And God is going to reveal this to him, and most of us have already studied through this, but uh, this is uh, so intriguing to me. You know, he's, he's uh, seeing a vision, and this vision incorporates a lion that represents Babylon, it, it uh, incorporates a, a bear um, that's raised up on one side. That's the Medio Persian Empire, and we've uh, uh, easy to identify. And then in verse 6, he identifies Greece, led by Alexander the Great. And then he comes down to the fourth beast, and um, dreadful and terrible, you know, the, the, verse 7 uh, strong exceedingly, it hath great iron teeth. It devours and breaks in pieces and stamps the residue of the feet of it. Um, and it was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Now this is describing Rome. The coming of Rome. But watch verse 8. And I considered the horns. Now the horns are, are the 
biblical metaphor for power or governance. Um, ten horns. Uh, this parallels the ten toes on the great image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about in Daniel chapter 2. So here is a Roman culture, uh, and, and if I can use this, a Roman Greco culture, just like America is a Roman Greco culture. Uh, and it has ten horns or ten uh, rulers. But then he said, I was considering these horns, right? And behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man. Remember what I said about the Antichrist? The man of sin? And he's what? Speaking great things. Speaking great things. A great orator. A great leader, as it were. Someone who has a contingency of the qualities that belong to the ten horns. He has part of each horn. And he brings it together in a little horn. So he has a, a lot of experience in all of the pagan kingdoms and rulers of the world. Uh, and he speaks the great things. Now watch this. I love this. <laughs> Verse 9. And I beheld the thrones that were cast down. And the ancient of days. Brothers and sisters, here's your hope right here. And the ancients of days did, uh, did sit, whose garment was white as snow, hair was, uh, of his head was like pure wool, his throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as a burning fire. The, the metaphor there is his, his chariot. Uh, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that Daniel was looking to the very end of time, and he was seeing the coming of the little horn. And that he would borrow the evil of all of these pagan nations and sinful nations and rulers. He would embody all of them at one time. But lo and behold, the Ancient of Days is sitting upon his throne. He's governing. He's ruling over this. He's ruling over it. And, he, and this parallels, does it not, Revelation chapter 1 describing the Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 10 he says, And a fiery stream issued and came forth from him thousands and thousands. You, you know why it says thousands and thousands? Because the biggest number in the Hebrew uh, alpha, uh, 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 dialect is thousand. That's why it says thousands of thousands or tens of thousands. It'll never say millions. But this could be trillions in the American language. Now, I get excited when I see this. I don't know if you notice that, but I, I, get, I get excited. Here's this fiery stream issued, came forth from him, verse 10, and thousands of thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times. <laughs> oh, they don't have anything on him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. Now, notice that expression. The judgment was set. I want to submit to you that that's the day of the Lord. 
That is the day for which all days were made, when Jesus Christ himself shall descend as the great judge. And all the books are open. The books of history. The books of um, the law. The books of remembrance. See, brothers and sisters, there's a payday someday. I realize that a lot of these folks think they're getting away with a whole bunch. They even found some bank accounts in, uh, uh, in Switzerland that were connected to several politicians recently. And, of course, nothing's going to happen to them here. But one of these days, Brother Nathan, they're going to give account to the king of kings and the judge of all the earth. Now, that ought to bring some kind of satisfaction to you here tonight. They're not getting away with a thing. Now, watch this. I love this. And I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. This is going back to the Antichrist. The little horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. You see, uh, brothers and sisters, in other words, uh, they're in a holding tank, as it were. Reserved in chains of darkness unto the great day of the coming of Christ, according to Second Peter chapter 3. But he said, I, I saw, in, in, in verse 13, I saw in night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion. Listen to this. There was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. I want you to realize that all the kingdoms of men come and go. Egypt came and went. Right? Assyria came and went, right? Um, uh, 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 Babylon came and went. And um, the Medio Persian Empire came and went. Greece came and went, real quick. And, uh, and then Rome came and went. Well, let me tell you something. America is here today, but it'll also go away. But the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will not end. Now, that, that doesn't that excite you? So they're going to raise your taxes. Go ahead. So they're going to take your car away. Go ahead. You're not going to live in that house without paying some kind of a tax uh, to the state that says you have a right to, to live your life here. Go ahead. Whatever you do, you must understand that one day the king of kings is coming. And he's going to vindicate. His children. Now, let's get back to the text so I can finish this. <laughs> so what are we talking about? We shouldn't be soon shaken. We shouldn't be soon shaken. Yes, there's going to be a great falling away. Yes, there's going to be a man of sin. Yes, there's the likelihood of a, a literal temple that will be built in the city of Jerusalem before the wonderful day of Jesus Christ's coming. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, one reason I am is because of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 15. 
He's quoting Daniel chapter 11 verse 31 and he says when you see the abomination of, de of desolation spoken of by Daniel uh, in the holy place, then will the end come. So I'm believing that that's literally true. Yes, there's going to be a temple. Yes, there's going to be an antichrist. Yes, restraints are going to be sovereignly removed. But brothers and sisters, let me give you the sweet part of this. Because I don't believe Jesus is going to come again till his church is complete. Till his family is complete. I used to hear the old preachers, and I didn't understand. I was a little boy sitting on the pew, and I'd hear them say something. They'd say, my prayer, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord will bring the unbrought. That the Lord will bring the unbrought. One time I got up with the courage and I went up to the preacher and I said, what are you talking about when you say the unbrought? And uh, Elder Bass said to me, young man, Jesus is not going to come again until the last era of promise is born into this world. Boy, that sealed it in my heart. And then I studied the words of the Apostle Paul, and I realized that's exactly right. Listen to what he says. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. He's, you know, he's, he's talking about the, the Antichrist. He says, uh, uh, and, uh, and he shall destroy, uh, the wicked shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his uh, mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Hallelujah. A payday someday. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because, why are they perishing? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Brothers and sisters, never diminish the value of the gospel. There's salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to, we need to be echoing the gospel message as loud and as far as we can. Now, here, 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 in verse 11. And for this cause shall uh, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And that's exactly what you're seeing today. That's exactly what we're seeing today. The, we're seeing the delusion of the devil. We're, we're, so many of these policies that they're passing left and right in our uh, Congress today. Brothers and sisters, the, the recent battle over the budget, uh, Mr. McCarthy said we ought to be rejoicing that we finally settled the question of the budget. Well, how, how did you settle it? Well, we're only going to be $14 trillion in debt instead of 18. Oh, let's rejoice. Right? I'm telling you, that's delusion. That's delusion. Anyway, many examples could be used, but watch this. Hmm. Verse 12, that they might all be damned who believed not the truth. Somebody says, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. What are you going to do with that verse? It says you're going to be damned if you don't believe the truth. If you don't embrace the truth of Jesus Christ, you're going to be damned. Hmm. 
It makes a difference what we believe, brothers and sisters, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh, but listen to me. Listen to me. Verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Loved when? When you began to love Him? No. God loved us before we loved Him, right? And when did He love His people? Before the foundation of the world. Listen to Him. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Brothers and sisters, I believe that that is the distinction made between regeneration and conversion. Regeneration and conversion go together. You don't have one without the other. The Apostle Paul says uh, that we have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We've been born again by the Holy Spirit. We have been given new hearts and ears that can hear the gospel and a heart that can believe and claim and lay hold upon that precious truth because Jesus Christ came to the world not in order to give men a chance for eternal life, but He came to purchase eternal life for all of those who place their trust in Him. That's you and me. By God's grace tonight, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel. It's the true gospel. Don't tell me that all of these false prophets and false teachers that are portraying God as some kind of a weak being that's rubbing his hands, wondering, how can I help these poor people if they don't let me? How can I save this one if they just don't let me? I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the gospel at all. Somebody says, I heard this recently, well, uh, actually, God did take care of 90% of your salvation. But sinner, you've got to come up with the 10%. He called it the sinner's tithe. You've got to come up with 10% because God did all he can do. But now, sinner, you've got to do something to add on or to complete the work that he wants to do. Brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. That's not the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is that God chose a people in Christ before time began. And Jesus came into the world and saved that people through the shedding of his blood. And then he said, I'll send another comforter. When I go, I'll send another comforter, even the Holy Spirit. And he will come alongside you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new mind. He'll give you a new understanding. He'll give you of great joy. He'll give you something that the world can never give you. He'll give you something that nobody, even the devil, can't take away. He says, I want you to rest in this, friend. And I actually, he said that. I'm getting ahead of myself. In verse 15, I know I've got to quit. Oh, I'm already out of time. Sorry. Verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. There's our word. Be firm. Stand fast and hold to the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ, I love that, Lord Jesus Christ, Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us an everlasting consolation through 
uh, and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I want to close with that. I really don't want to close tonight, but I need to. You've worked hard, and some of us have worked hard, and we're a little weary tonight, but oh, let the joy of this just, just put some iron in your blood. What are you here for? What, what are we supposed to be about as a Christian community? He says, I want to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Now, I'm going to tell you, when somebody comes to you and they begin to tell you how bad things are in America today, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? You give them a good word, a good word. You tell them that Jesus Christ is on his throne and he's coming any time. And then you do a good work. And you do a good work in Jesus' name. When you help a, a, a somebody on the street or in your business or in your community, you help them, you always tell them, we're doing this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one that's coming very soon. God bless you. Thank you for your good attention. Sorry I'm so, so long. <laughs>